All right, thank you, David, so much for leading us in that time of worship. And now, friends, it is time for our study of God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up at this time to Exodus chapter 20. And today we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Many of you probably know this, or at least you're familiar with it. We are currently going through the Ten Commandments, also called the Decalogue, or the Ten Words. And today we're looking at what has traditionally been numbered as the Fourth Commandment. So let's begin by reading Scripture together. We'll pray and we'll get into our study of God's Word. Beginning in verse 8, this is the Word of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning and we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit to be upon your people. Lord, we pray that you would grant us teachable hearts, able minds, to understand what you would speak to your church today through this word. Lord, we pray that we would receive this message on Sabbath and what it means for us today is a gift from you, meant for our good. It is not a rule that holds us back from anything good, but rather there is a rule and a principle here for us today that is meant to give us life. And so, Lord, it's my prayer we would receive this as an opportunity to receive a gift from your hand. We pray this now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're looking at the Sabbath today, the fourth commandment. And you know what? You'd actually think of all the commandments, this would be the easiest one to keep. I mean, on the surface, for goodness sakes, it's an invitation to take a break. So you would think that when it comes to taking a break, that's something that Israel would have just done that, that maybe of all the Ten Commandments, that's the one they would keep. And yet we actually see in the story of Israel throughout the Old Testament, it's a commandment that they break regularly. They do it over and over and over. As a matter of fact, God has to keep speaking about it more so than any of the other Ten Commandments. Even as you look at the Ten Commandments, this commandment, the Fourth Commandment, Exodus 28 through 11, there is more said about this commandment than any of the other commandments on their own. So what's going on here in this fourth commandment, in this Sabbath rest idea? And what I want to suggest today for us Christians, because it still applies, are three things. Number one, we're going to see today that Sabbath is an invitation to rest. Number one, Sabbath is an invitation to rest. Okay, so you'll notice where God grounds this whole idea. It's grounded in the order of creation. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested 
from his labor. And what God is saying is just as I work, so work is good. Remember that. We're not by any means saying when we're saying that you need to take an invitation to rest, that sometimes people work too much or they're workaholics. We are not in any way suggesting that work is not a good thing. It is a good thing. We even see here in this order that work is the majority of your life, and that's actually right and good. I know some people, maybe they, they hate their job or their, their temperament. They're just not predisposed to really wanting to spend a lot of time in work, and so they have to overcome that reluctance with discipline. But you know what? The rhythm of work is a good thing. God gave us work. Work is not a result of the fall. You know, in many religious traditions, work is a curse. Uh, the gods in some of the, for example, the Greek mythological tradition, work was created because the gods were tired. So they created human beings to relieve them of their labor. And so work, in a sense, was kind of a curse. The gods were passing off their load onto human beings. That's not the case we see in the Bible. The God of Scripture, Yahweh, does not create work for humans because he, need, he needs a break. Not at all. Rather, work is a gift. And yet, even good gifts in life need boundaries. There are boundaries we have to have over good things in life. I know many of us, I know this is true for myself, just think about food. We live in a time where in America, not only is food not scarce, but you can get food probably 24 hours a day, really good food, tasty food, delicious food with lots of fats and carbohydrates and all these kind of elaborate recipes. And that's good. I, I'm thankful for food. I love food. I, I love gourmet food. But at the same time, I have to have boundaries on that food. If all I do is eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and I have no boundary and I say, hey, I got to... I got to stop eating all these sweets. I got to start exercise. I got to go run this off. I got to go run a few miles this morning, do, do some abs, do some crunches, do something. Then that gift of food and even delicious food is actually going to become bad to me. And so that's the same idea here with this invitation to rest. It's actually a gift and we need to learn to see it that way. Now, you'll notice that it refers specifically to this idea of work. So he says, in it you shall do no work, not you, not your son, not your daughter, not your male servant, not even your animals, nobody. So notice this, friends. God is not just saying individuals here and there should rest, but he's creating a culture of rest. God is creating a community of people who know how to practice this divine gift of rest. Now, on a practical note, many people might ask, well, Pastor Mike, I don't, my job is not physical labor. I sit behind a computer, you know, 70 hours a week, and that's my work. I'm, you know, designing websites, and I'm um, doing social media accounts, managing those, and I'm returning emails constantly all throughout my day, and I, I do things like that. So I'm, I'm sedentary. I, I'm sitting down physically. I'm not physically doing work, but but I am working, and I'm working all day long. Um, friends, I think this is not just a reference to physical labor. I want to show you, especially as we move on to the second point, you're, you're going to see this. I think part of the problem with looking at Sabbath as more of just kind of a rule rather than a principle is it no longer applies to much of modern life. 
For example, if this re refers specifically and only to physical rest, rest from physical labor, then it actually doesn't apply to many modern people today. But what I want to point out is this is not just physical labor, but whatever you do for a living, uh, the, whatever you're trying to do to earn money, that's actually the idea. It's the idea of what you do in this world to gain for yourself, to, to receive provision. That's actually more the idea. So the ironic thing is, if you sit at a computer 70, 80 hours a week, Sabbath for you might be closing your computer, not being on it at all, and going out and playing catch with your kids or mowing your lawn and doing some gardening or, or something like that. It might actually be physical. Physical might be your rest, whereas vice versa. If you're doing manual labor all week long, then you definitely, maybe you'll flip open the computer and you'll watch a really great documentary on the history of the church. I know you're all dying to do that. There's a good one. I'll talk to you about it later. But whatever that is for you, ceasing from your labors, whatever you're doing in this world to earn a living, that's the invitation, friends. So I want us to understand this invitation to rest. It's not just the strict rule, which it became for the Israelites at the time of Jesus. It was just, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and this technically meets this, this. And Jesus was like, you're missing the point. You're actually totally missing the point of what Sabbath is. So it's a principle of rest and a ceasing to work from whatever it is you do. Now, by the way, I want to point out that this might this work I'm talking about, when I use that word, I realize for many people, they think of it as what you get paid for. But it may not be something you're paid for. For example, if you're a homemaker, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're working maybe more than most people outside the house. You're working 100 hours a week, seven days a week, maybe 16, 18 hours a day, and you, you don't get a break. So even for you, it's not just about money, but that's, that's your primary vocation. And so uh, a rest of some kind, whether it's having your spouse or grandparents or, or whoever watching the kids for a while or, or someone else comes and helps clean up, whether it's getting the family to do that, which sometimes is more work than doing it yourself or, or hiring somebody to come in, doing what you can do to rest, to cease from that primary vocation that you have in life. Now, again, this sounds like a blessing. This, to me, this sounds like a gift. And yet I acknowledge that many of us, myself included, can resist the invitation to rest. Now, why is that? Why in the world would we resist an invitation to rest? Well, let me mention to you some work from the late Dr. Barbara Killinger. So she was a psychologist who focused on the phenomenon of workaholism. So she noticed that there's been widespread attention and research given to addictions, addictions of various kinds, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sex abuse, all that kind of stuff. But she noticed about 20 some years ago that there was almost zero attention given to workaholism. That is that people that are addicted, not just people that work hard, that's not workaholism, they're addicted to their work. And so let me just share you some observations that she made that I think are helpful as to why some of us resist this invitation to rest. She says, work is essential for our well-being and integral to our identity. 
We suffer profound emotional distress when we lose a job or cannot do our work for whatever reason. The alarming number of employees on prolonged stress leave is evidence that physical and psychological health do break down, especially during these recessionary times when workaholic bosses or organizations place unreasonable demands on their staff. One does not have to have a paid job. Many perfectionistic homemakers and students suffer from this serious affliction. So what is the difference between a hard worker and a workaholic? That's a frequently asked question. A hard worker who is emotionally present for all the family members, coworkers, and friends, and who manages to maintain a healthy balance between work and personal responsibility is not a workaholic. Any periodic burst of overworking in order to meet an important deadline or an emergency situation needs to be purposely followed by a reduced schedule or days off to restore depleted resources. Making a resolution to save at least 25% of your energy to bring home every night and putting a fence around your weekends to protect yourself from temptations are both good ideas, end quote. Now, this is amazing, friends. This is a 21st century psychologist telling us we should put a fence around our, our work and our personal life. And isn't it interesting that one of the main metaphors the rabbis used for the Torah, for the law, was a fence. They said the Torah was a fence. It was a fence that was meant to defend you from wrong ways of believing and living. So here we are in the scriptures today, thousands and thousands of years before psychology as a modern science was even invented, and we're being told that we need to have a fence set around our work, whatever it is we do as a primary vocation, and that we are to give our lives to other things. So Sabbath, friends, is an invitation to rest. But secondly, <clears throat> Sabbath is more than that. And I'd say this is what Sabbath is at a deeper level. If all you do is see Sabbath as an invitation to rest, well, I think that's a good thing, but you don't need the Bible for that. You could just listen to Barbara Killinger or, or anybody else on that matter. But Sabbath is something deeper, friends. Sabbath is also this. Sabbath is an invitation to trust God. Sabbath is an invitation to trust God. When we begin to ask ourselves, now, why would anyone resist this invitation to rest? And it's because deep down at the heart level, we don't trust God. That's the reason, friends. Deep down at the heart level, this is not just practical, although it has practical implications, but deeper down at the heart level, the problem is we don't trust God. Now, what do I mean by that? In what way are we not trusting God? Well, I'd say there's two particular ways. Number one, we don't trust God to provide. 
We don't trust God to provide. Many times, the reason you get a workaholic is, is you tell yourself, gosh, you know, six days is, is not enough. I, I can't afford to take any time off. Gosh, you know, if, if I don't look at the stock market for, for five seconds today, if I, if I take a break and just spend time with my family, oh, this deal could go through. Hey, I'm competing against some really gnarly men and women that just put their lives uh, into this thing. They're real sharks out there. It's a dog eat dog world. And, and if I don't, if I don't work seven days a week, then, then I'm, God's not going to be able to provide for me. And so in our minds, we can tell ourselves that. And again, just as uh, Dr. Killinger pointed out, there's certainly seasons of life where, gosh, you know, I've, I've had to put in seven days a week and, and I think it was right. I think it was justified. It was an emergency. It was a crisis. And I just felt like I had no choice. Got to do seven days a week. It just has to be done. But at some point, there has to be a boundary around that. At some point, you know, it's, it's like a car for all you car guys and ladies out there. It's like redlining your car. There's that red line on the dial. No, a lot of people don't even pay attention to that anymore with automatic transmissions. But if you have a manual transmission, you certainly know you, the driver, need to pay attention to that red line. And your car can go to the red, and it can even go in the red for a little while, but you don't want to spend much time there. What you can't do in that red line on the RPM is just rev it up past into that red and keep it there. Because what you're saying is the engine is not meant to handle that for prolonged periods of time. It's too much. And the same thing is true of our lives. We, we can be redlining in, in an emergency. Maybe that's what you got to do, but you can't stay there. If you stay there, you will burn out. You will have a breakdown. Many times people sin as a way of relieving the fact that they have not been taking an invitation to rest. So number one, it's, a, it's an invitation to trust God with our provision. As a matter of fact, this already happened earlier in the story of Exodus. If you remember in our study, one of the things God did is he provided manna. He provided bread from heaven. But there was a test built in to that provision. Do you remember that? What was the test? The test was six days, so God was already teaching them Sabbath. Six days, God was going to provide manna. But on the sixth day, he was going to provide a double portion. Why? Because on the seventh day, they were to rest. They were to gather no manna. They were to trust God. They were to say, hey, God's going to provide us enough that I can cease. But what did many of the Israelites do? They couldn't trust. They're like, oh gosh, yeah, we have enough for six days, but we don't have enough for seven. So yes, even though God told us to rest, we're not going to because, well, who knows? Maybe there won't be enough manna on Monday. That's it. There won't be manna Monday. So we got to break God's law, break Sabbath, and we got to go do it. And what happened? The provision they found rotted. It turned, it was spoiled. And that's the idea, friends. We can say in our minds, oh, I'll just accumulate more and more and more and more and more. But at some point, by not honoring God, we spoil and ruin what we have. We ruin our jobs. We ruin our families. We ruin our, our relationship to our church and the mission and ministry we're trying to do. And so, number one, it's an invitation to trust God as our provider. But there's another aspect to this invitation to trust God. And it's even deeper than that. I would say ultimately it is an invitation to trust God as the foundation for your life. In other words, this idea of God worked six days and rested, it's an invitation to build your work on God's work. An invitation to build your work on God's work. Ask yourself, what's what do you do with your weekly schedule? Because we can talk theology and these uh, grand ideas. But what does your schedule look like? Let me ask you this, friends. Do you build your week around your worship? 
or do you build worship around your week? Now, don't feel bad because many people in America do this. And many professing Christians, they build out their life. All right, I'm going to go on. I'm going to work these days. I'm going to sign up for this extracurricular activity for my kids. I'm going to take this vacation. Oh, and I'll throw in a little bit of worship uh, there at the end. Friends, we're missing this principle. Sabbath is an invitation to build our work on God's work. What we're saying is God's work and God's rest is the foundation for our lives. Worship is what we're actually building our lives on. But many churchgoers and professing Christians, they may go to church, but it is not the thing they're building their life on. It's a side thing. Friends, we want our worship of God to be the foundation for our identity. And this helps us as Christians to avoid what Dr. Killinger was talking about. A workaholic, what I would define it as, is somebody who builds their core identity on their work. I am an attorney. I am a doctor. I am a police officer. I am a nurse. I am a stay-at-home mom. And what happens when something goes wrong with that job, you lose your job, you're physically unable, you retire, you have an, your children move out of the house, you have an identity crisis. And I'm not saying if you do it the right way, oh, it'll all be easy. No, it's going to be hard. All the more reason to make God, God's work, God's rest, the foundation for your work. And so Sabbath is this invitation at, at its core, at its heart, to trust God with provision, but also even more so to trust God with our identity. Worship preserves who we really are, whereas work out in the world and even family and everything else, we can lose ourselves, we can lose our identity. Our true identity is built on the work and worship of God. Lastly, that brings us around to this, because, of course, people can point to this and say, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor Mike. That's for the Israelites. It doesn't apply today. If it did, we'd still be worshiping on Saturday and observing all these other laws. So, friends, as I've already been alluding to, we're not saying that we're under the Mosaic Code. No, we're not. The New Testament is explicitly clear about that. And yet what I am saying is the New Testament shows us that this principle of Sabbath still applies today, and yet in a unique way. So number three, our point is this. Sabbath is an invitation to trust Jesus as Lord. Number three, Sabbath is an invitation to trust Jesus as Lord. If you have your Bibles, flip with me to the Gospel of Mark real quick. If you don't have your Bibles, just jot down this reference to look at later. It is Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Mark 2, 23 through 28. Listen to this statement. One Sabbath, Jesus was passing through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick the heads of grain as they walked along. So the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? During the high priesthood of Abiathar, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for the priests, and he gave some to his companions as well. Then Jesus declared, 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What we're being told here in the New Testament is that this idea of Sabbath points to Jesus. That whereas here, friends, in Exodus 28 through 11, who's the one speaking these words? Yahweh. Yahweh is speaking these words. And yet here is this man, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Galilee. And he is telling his followers the reason that he is able to pronounce what the true and right practice of Sabbath actually is, is because he's Lord. He is Lord of the Sabbath. This is, from a canonical, biblical Old Testament standpoint, an, another piece of the puzzle in the argument for the deity of Christ. Who is Lord of the Sabbath in our passage today? It's Yahweh. And yet here Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And so as Christians today, we're not saying that we just throw out Exodus 28 through 11, but rather what we're saying is we're called to look to Jesus. He is the Lord of our Sabbath. So the first thing we notice is that we're invited. Our Sabbath, as we long for this rest, as we long for this trust in a God who will provide, as we long to find our identity in someone or something that we can never lose and can never be taken from us, we are invited to look to Jesus himself because he is Lord of the Sabbath. I also want to read you a little bit of an extended passage, but friends, it's brilliant and it's beautiful. Just write this reference down. I'll read it and I highly recommend you read it and reflect on it for yourself later, but it's going to be Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 through chapter 4 11. Hebrews 3 1 through Hebrews 4 11. The reason I'm going to read this is because the book of Hebrews is speaking to Hebrews. That's why it gets its name. And it is taking basically all the grand ideas and themes and laws of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and it is summing them up in Jesus. And here in this section, we're seeing the Sabbath summed up in Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath. Just listen to this and we'll make a couple basic points. This is God's word. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in his house. For in this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. In other words, pointing somewhere. But Christ as a son over his own house, he's greater than Moses, whose house we are if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Quoting Psalm 95, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. 
Therefore I was angry with that generation, and I said they will always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest, into my Sabbath, the, the true and better Sabbath. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter into this rest because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains, so a promise that was anticipated in the Old Testament but was never fulfilled, it remains. Lest let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short in it, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do not enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not because of unbelief, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards spoken of another day. So the promised land was the inheritance, this picture of a true and better rest. And he acknowledges, even though Joshua got them into this physical place, yet Israel continued to miss the rest that God promised, and they even forfeited their land. Therefore, what was being pointed to was a greater Sabbath. Therefore remains before a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as, as God did from his. Let, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So friends, what we're invited to do is look to Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. That just as Israel was offered a rest, but failed to enter in because of unbelief, we too are invited to enter into the true and better Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. And the only thing that'll keep us from doing that is sin, unbelief. It is saying, I don't need to receive God's boundaries for my life. I don't need to make worship, the worship of God, the priority of my weekly schedule. I will build my life on everything else, on earning a living, on my wife, on my husband, on my children, on my job, on the political affairs of this world. I'm going to build my life on all of that, and then I'll throw a little bit of worship in at the end. 
Friends, we are called to build our life, to enter into the rest. And do you see that ultimately the problem with Sabbath was a problem of the heart? What ultimately kept them back was not practical per se, but it was unbelief. It was not desiring God more than any earthly thing. They desired the bread and the food of Egypt more than trusting in God if it meant going through a wilderness. Yes, there's sacrifice in making worship prior to everything else, but that is where the rest is for the people of God. And so we're invited as an invitation to see Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. And lastly, on a practical note, why do we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday? Because the New Testament would say, we, because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and because of his death and resurrection, and because of regeneration, the rebirth in the Holy Spirit, we've entered into new creation. The old Sabbath is celebrated on Saturday because it is a part of the old age. But now that the last days have become begun in and through Jesus, we celebrate on Sunday because it is the beginning of new creation. That is why in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, you'll see the church and the apostles are gathering for worship, not on Saturday, but on Sunday. You'll see in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 2, that a collection and an offering was being taken up as they were gathered on Sunday. And so, friends, again, that's why we worship on Sunday, but I don't want anyone to get caught up on that technical, oh, it has to be Sunday morning. The point, once again, is the principle. Build your life on the worship of God. Rest in his work. Your identity is not in your work. You're not saved by your works or else your identity would be in your works. Rather, you are saved by grace through faith and you're showing that by building the rest of your work, all of your life, all of your relationships off the foundation of worship. And so friends, this idea of Sabbath is an invitation to rest in the finished work of Christ. The invitation to trust God, to not only be your provider, but to be your core identity that you can never lose, that you were always meant for. And finally, it's an invitation to trust Jesus as the true and better Sabbath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning. And I just confess, Lord, that our hearts long for rest in you. Lord, I love that famous line of St. Augustine who said, Our hearts were made for thee, and our hearts will always be restless until they come to rest in thee. Lord, that is so true. Lord, I thank you for this principle and this gift of Sabbath. Lord, I thank you that you who made the human body know how it functions. Lord, we do need boundaries over our lives, over what we do for a living or our primary vocation, whether at home raising children or out trying to earn money to pay our bills and provide for our families. Lord, help us to invite those boundaries into our lives as a gift and not as a curse. Lord, I pray that you would show us that we can trust you to provide for us, Lord. 
I pray you would show us that we do not want to find our identities, who we are, in what we do for a living, or, or even raising children. Because one day, what if our children go wrong? What if we lose our job? What if we retire? Lord, we will be like so many who are just devastated and gutted, and some even commit suicide and turn to drugs and sinful outlets of various kinds. Lord, that's what happens when people do not find their identity in you. Lord, I pray that would not happen to any of my brothers and sisters. Help us to trust you to build our weekly schedules and therefore our identity on the worship of you. Lord, help us to prioritize it. If any of us, Lord, we have not been prioritizing worship. Lord, if there's a game on, if there's, uh, we could go fishing, if we could watch a great program, if we could just build a life and then try to slap on worship in the end. Lord, the problem is not that it's technically right or wrong. It's that we're completely missing the principle of Sabbath. We're invited to trust you, to rest in you, and to witness that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So, Father, I just pray you would apply this truth through the Holy Spirit to my brothers and sisters such that they would enter into the rest of Jesus and that it would change their lives. We pray this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, friends, I hope that message and the worship today was a blessing to you. If it was, do us a favor and help us to get this word out. So go ahead and like our post and you can share it onto your Facebook page. You can even, if you're watching and you don't have an account, you can copy the link and you can email it or text it to a friend. Also at this time, as a part of continuing our worship, there are two ways that you can give financially to the Lord, showing him as your Lord and your provider and furthering the work of the gospel and the ministry. So two ways you can do that. First, you can go online to our website and give there. That's imagechurchoc.com. And there's a giving tab at the top and you can just click there and you can enter in your information and give either using your debit card or credit card. For those of you that would prefer to send in a check or cashier's check or money order, you can mail that to our church mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway, Ellis and Larry 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California 92694. Again, all that information is on our website, imagechurchoc.com. Again, friends, we encourage you to join us. We have our midweek Bible study this Wednesday at 7 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time. So I encourage you to join us as we continue our journey through the Minor Prophets. We've got six prayer meetings every week, five days a week. I encourage you to join us for those. Also, we have a private in-person church gathering tonight taking place at 5 p.m. in San Juan Capistrano. If you're on our church mailing list, you should have received an invitation with instructions yesterday. So if you haven't received that, go check your email. If you don't see it, check your spam folder. And we look forward to seeing you tonight at 5. And we'll be opening up this more to the general public sometime soon. All right, friends, let me close now with this prayer of blessing. May the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Thank you so much. And have a blessed week resting in Jesus as the Lord of Sabbath.